Thresholds Radio with your host, John Stevenson. Recording a UFO action. And there in the darkness, on the ground, knocking on the walls, something crawling. Why? Oh my god! Are you seeing this? To a formation for a You're listening to Thresholds Radio. I'm Anthony K. With me is John Stevenson. On tonight's show, we have Jeff Mudgett, also Jose Camelia, and so much more. We're going to start off the show with Jose Camelia right after this quick commercial break. You're listening to Thresholds Radio. We'll be right back. Did you happen to catch it? Did it happen so fast? Or what you thought would always last is past you? TheEdgeOnAir.com wants to invite you to be abducted. Tune in Friday night starting at 10 p.m. for Thresholds Radio. Host John Stevenson is your guide through the realm of the paranormal with an hour-long radio show sure to give you the heebie-jeebies. Check out UFO-Info.com to learn more. It's Thresholds Radio every Friday night at 10 p.m. on TheEdgeOnAir.com. Welcome back to Thresholds Radio. I'm Steve Kenny, and John and I have Jose Escamilla on the line. I want to welcome you back to the show. How have you been doing? We haven't talked with you. My gosh, I think it's been over nine months. Exactly, yeah, nine months ago. Jeez, time flies. Oh, a lot of things happen, you know. Um, you know uh, working on UFO, the British story of the United Part 3, UFOs from Outer Space. And I've had, you know, Dr. Roger Lear spaded to narrate the film and, and also be in it, but he got very sick. And, right. And he was really, really ill. Plus, I had a little bout with uh, shingles and Bell's palsy, all sorts of painful things. Oh, yeah, that's going. right. I saw that on Facebook. You were you were ill for a while there. Yeah, and uh, it was all due to anxiety and the stress of losing my mom, you know, when she passed away. And you get sick, man. You know, stress will kill you. you know? Oh, yes. So, uh, <laughs> Believe me. <laughs> I'm doing a lot better. I'm, I'm doing a lot better. I'm still you know, experiencing some pain, but... Um, I, you know, I have some pain pills and things that I take, and it just, uh, it helps a lot, believe me. <laughs> yeah. I do not want to have this stuff. You do what you got to do. I was on medication for a while, and I'm off of it now, and I am so glad. I, I just hate medication, but sometimes you just got to take it. Yeah, yeah. And there's uh, an epidemic going on out there of shingles all of a sudden, you know, so I don't feel too bad about having it. I thought it was just an illness that happens just to certain people, but no, it's it's a almost pandemic man oh you were you just know? trying to be trendy weren't you you wanted to follow the crowd <laughs> <laughs> i was trending <laughs> so you, you sent me that link to uh the promo on your new uh movie and that is absolutely amazing the full color images of the moon that just blew me away yeah that's uh that's gonna be a heck of a film and, and i have you know luckily i ran across this gentleman his name is bill bryson and um, he's basically going to be the star astronomer for the film because he's he's an actual amateur astronomer, and that's what he does. You know, like I make movies and music and stuff like that, and uh, he does astronomy. He's the guy that's in the know. He's into the astronomy bit, you know. And uh, he saw my film Moon Rising a few years back, and in it I had shown, you know, disclosed some of the full color photography from the moon. So he decided to check it out as an astronomer, okay? Because up until that time, just like with everyone else, you know, we all believe that the moon is black and white and gray, you know? 
that it's not a full color orb out there, you know? And uh, we've been totally misled. And what he did is he found a way to check out the moon in full color. He found the right camera. He has a uh, an eight inch, I think, or 12 inch Celestron telescope. And he's got this Logitech camcorder, which is, you know, $90, you know? And uh, it films the moon as it really is in full color. And by him doing this, it's made my job a lot easier because every time I used to do lectures or I present this stuff, I'd have to explain to people, you know, why the moon looks gray from Earth, all right? And it gets to be a pain, you know, because I have to remember all this astronomy, to, uh, you know, language and this kind of thing, explanations. And sometimes I just don't get it all right. Well, here he comes along and he's doing it and he's an astronomer, which is really cool. So, uh, Celestial is going to be one of the neatest films I've ever made. I'm really happy with the way it's coming out. And there are a lot of things that people are going to see on the moon that they've never seen before. And, and all in full color photography, as you said, you know. It's absolutely amazing. I mean, the, the quality and the colors and the depth and everything is just absolutely amazing. Yeah, it's uh, thank gosh that, you know, I ran across this website by accident. You know, the reason I downloaded all this color photography was I was looking for a CGI moon, you know, a 3D moon model that I could put on my 3D program. And uh, I contacted some of the guys that work on Star Trek and Battlestar Galactica, and I asked the special effects guys, I go, hey, where do you guys go to download all these great replicas of Earth, Saturn, and Jupiter, and Mars, and the moon? I need to find me a, uh, a model of the moon that I can manipulate, you know, and I want to zoom from Earth all the way to the surface of the moon. Well, I go to, uh, it's the United States Geological website, mapaplanet.org, and you click on the moon, and then you see five samples, five little photos, and the one in the center says, natural color of the moon. And, you know, this was like in February of 2009, and I'd never, I was just like, just every, every other person, man, you know, I've always believed the moon is black and white, you know, until I saw this, and boy, when I clicked on that, on that uh, link, my whole perspective of the moon changed, like, immediately. I was as stunned as you are from seeing just the footage that you've seen so far. I mean, that's just the opening right. minutes of the movie that I sent you. But I was just totally stunned, man, when I saw this full-color photos, man. And uh, I took it, I started downloading immediately. I started downloading literally about, I'd say about 845 maybe photos that I downloaded in high resolution, right there off the USGS website. And I'm glad I did because after Moon Rising came out and I showed the full color photography of the moon, uh, all of a sudden you go to mapaplanet.org right now and you try to download some of the full color shots that I have and they're all washed out. They've already tampered with them. Oh, imagine that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They, they've already uh, messed up a lot of the exposure. The, uh, uh, the photography just is it's not good at all anymore and you can't even see the details anymore. But... Um, we were fortunate, and I say we because when uh, I present this movie, Celestial, July 21st, which is like the 43-year anniversary that man walked on the moon, we're going to show the people what they should have seen years ago, the moon in its true full color. And I have an astronomer on board with me that knows exactly what he's talking about. He's not a, you know, he's an amateur astronomer, don't get me wrong, but he's been doing it for many years, okay? 
And uh, the only difference between him and any other astronomer is that there's astronomers that work at observa observatories, at NASA, at universities, and they're part of keeping it uh, out of the public's mind that the moon is a full-color celestial body, our closest neighbor in the whole of the universe, man. Right, and I mean, after looking at your footage that you sent me, uh, night and day difference. I mean, unless you would point it out, you wouldn't even know it was the moon because we're so geared to seeing this black and white and gray thing. Yeah, and one of the reasons they do that is because once you see, and I think I mentioned to you earlier, once you see um, the moon in its full natural color, you start to seeing depth of perception. You know, you, you're able to see things that are on the surface of the moon that in black and white photos would not be, you would not be able to obtain them, you know? Well, yeah, that was the one thing I was asking you off air. Why did they do that? Do you want to go into detail what you told me on the reasoning and why, you know, they don't show us in color? Yeah, for, well, in the first place, you will start seeing structures and weird-looking things that are up there, including what appear to be clouds, smoke. Uh, there's a whole area right above uh, Aristarchus. You know that, that uh, crater that towards the end of the clip uh -huh. But I sent you, uh, it's a real beautiful purple-bluish thing. Above that, there appears to be some serious mining going on, all right? They're doing something. There's smoke, there's uh, activity of some kind, and, and you can tell it's an industrial type of project, whatever's being built up there. Wow. But, uh, you can tell. See, and in black and white, that same photo, you would not be able to see anything. It would look just like strange markings on the moon's surface. In full color, it's a total different planetoid basically well even so, in the black and whites you can see some of those that nasa actually blocks out or alters but they do such a bad job you can actually tell it's been done yeah yeah and um this full color photography like i was mentioning it it brings you to another realization that our moon has the capability of possibly inhabiting life if it hasn't already you know and when you start seeing these structures that are up there um one of the segments that I'm going to include in this film that's also I also added to Moon Rising because I re-edited that film is during the Apollo 16 mission um, the craft went around the dark side of the moon you know the other side of the moon that we don't see right and it went right over a crater called Lobachevsky and um, for whatever reason they photographed it you know they did about five or six different photos during Apollo 16 and that was in April of 1972. Now, eight months later, on our last mission, which was Apollo 17, and it was in December of, of 72, uh, that was the last time we ever went to the moon again, they went by that same crater, Lobachevsky, and lo and behold, man, there's a structure there now that mm. wasn't there eight months earlier, but there's a huge structure there that's 10 miles wide and about eight miles high. Wow. So between April and December of 72, in eight months, something or someone that has the technology to build a, uh, a huge structure like this built it. And, I mean, Donald Trump, with all the money in the world that he's got, he could not build anything that's 10 miles wide and six to eight miles high, you know. And, and this object, 22 years later, during the Clementine mission, is, you know, where I downloaded this uh, color photography, 22 years later, that structure is still there, and there's other activity going on there. It appears that there's somebody or something burning through the edge of the crater. There's a whole gateway where there's a, an area where you can traverse. You can go inside the crater. And um, 
it's just bizarre what's going on on the other side of the moon and the front side. And um, this is just going to be a neat movie. Uh, if anything, you're going to get a lesson in astronomy from Bill. His name is Bill Bryson. Because as he's been filming the moon in full color, he also takes you on trips. You know, he says, all right, today we're going to visit the Apollo 15 landing spot, you know. And oh, that's cool. Pointed out where they landed uh, on Apollo 17, 16, 11, and all that. Which is pretty, you know, in, in itself, it's an educational thing. And while he's doing it with his telescope, I'm going to take you there using the full-color photography that was taken by the Clementine mission from about uh, 170 miles above the surface. And I'll be able to get right in there. And as he's describing what you're seeing, what he's seeing through the telescope, we're catching a bird's eye view. And it's just incredible, the, the, the color. It's just, it's, an, it's amazing, the full-color photography. Oh, I know it is. You sent me that little link there, and my gosh, I probably watched that 10 times in a row, over and over and over, and just blowing my mind. Yeah, isn't that amazing? Gosh, man, if I would have known this, you know, when I was younger, man, I would have been totally into astronomy, man. But, you know, I was going, eh, man, it's just a black and white thing, man, and so what? They landed, big deal. You well, know? it's kind of boring. I had a telescope. You look up there, and it's all gray, and there was not a lot to see. And, uh, I mean, when you look at it like this in this color, it, it's totally different planet. Yeah, yeah. And it's, uh, at one time, there was a, a meeting over at NASA among many scientists and astronomers and things, and they were actually considering calling the moon a planet, a small planet uh, type of object. But they decided against it, you know, for whatever reasons. And, uh, but yeah, you're going to be able to see things on the moon that you've never fathomed existed. And, and these are huge structures. I'm telling you that when you see something like this one crater too, I forget the name of the crater, but it's over there close to this Aristarchus crater, and it's to the left. There's pipes uh, and, and piping going on from inside the crater to the sides of, you know, the exterior uh, perimeter. And it looks like huge cables and pipes. Wow. It's hard for me to explain, but it's whatever these things are, they're massive, man. And no one else has actually ever showed this type of stuff before, have they? No, I'm the only one in the world that's presenting the moon in full color. NASA should have done this years ago, man. Yeah, you would think so, but then okay. again... Well, one thing I've learned doing this show for a while, uh, we don't get the truth very often. Yeah, I imagine, man. And, and, you know, this has been going on for over 43 years, you know? That's absolutely amazing. Like I say, when this movie is out, people want to see this, too, because just in the, what was that little 10-minute clip or whatever you sent me, you know, that I was just blown away by that, and that's just the intro. Yeah, that's just the opening sequences. Yeah, there's a lot of surprises coming in in this movie, man. And uh, I have... Um, Gosh, when you guys see this object that was built in eight months, I mean, that's ridiculous, man. Nobody can do that even here on Earth, you know? Yeah, you got to... It's just uh, 10 miles wide, man, this thing is. And it looks alien. It yeah. looks like one of those uh, um, alien drawings done from the movie Aliens. Remember that guy, Geiger? Is that his name? You gotta, you got to send me a freeze frame of this now. I don't want to wait for the movie. i got to see this thing. <laughs> I will. You know, we're going to take you to the other side of the moon for sure, man. Oh, cool. It's, uh, it's going to be an amazing movie. And I'm urging your listeners out there, all right? I'm making this movie out of pocket, okay? And it costs me money to license the music. As far as the editing and everything else, I got all that handled. That's what I do. But in order to have the, the, the most beautiful soundtracks that fit with the scenery and everything else, I have to pay for the licenses of each music track, and it's not cheap. 
And this is a uh, this is music that's been produced already by you know major composers and performers, and uh, some of the music tracks go anywhere from you know fifty to a hundred dollars up to a thousand. Yeah, and that adds up too when you're doing a complete movie. Oh yeah, yeah, it adds up. I, I usually spend about thirty-eight hundred dollars to five thousand on just the music alone. You know, wow. but that does a job, man. And and I need this music because that's the key element that takes you to the moon and gives you that sense of uh, being at a, a strange new planet. You know, a, a new celestial body that is right there has been with us so many years and. I guarantee you, once people see Celestial, that's following same that next day. There's going to be people talking about it because it's going to it's the most phenomenal film that I've ever made so far. I want to make more, but uh, it's it's just because of the content. Oh, exactly. I can't even describe how incredible the full color photography is, and I only downloaded like 840 some uh, photos of 1.8 million digital photographs that were taken of the moon by the Clementine mission back in 1994. So this is not even tipping the iceberg, man. And this is a lot, of, like I said, a lot of the stuff that they uh, released, it has blurriness to it. I mean, they've messed with it, you know, so you don't get the full picture, but I'm avoiding certain areas of the photos that, you know, are messed with and uh, bringing you some really, really neat photography, man. It's just going to blow people out. So how can people uh, help you out here? I know you said you're you're kind of looking for some help with this movie, weren't you? Like financially, can people donate or give you a hand with the movie somehow? Yeah, what I do is I have a section. Uh, you can go to uh, my my uh, movie website. It's tblnfilms.com. And that's four letters. Tom, Bob, Larry, Nancy. And then films, F-I-L-M-S.com. tblnfilms.com. Go there and then click on the uh, Celestial Moon link. And that'll take you to the pages uh, where you can contribute as a uh, uh, sponsor. You can purchase a movie credit. If you want to be a co-producer on my film, you know, your name will be right there in the opening and closing credits of the movie. Um, if you want to have a special thank you uh, notice for somebody, you know, one of your loved ones or somebody, your girlfriend, uh, $50, man. You put $50 towards it, and I'll put your name right there, you know. No, that's long. cool. That's a great opportunity. How often do you get a major movie? You'll give you an option to, you know, donate and put get your name right in it. Yeah, and uh, there's also some incentives that I'm giving away, you know, baseball hats and things like that to everyone that contributes in the, in the you know, in the higher areas. I mean, if you uh, if you buy a special thank you credit, that's what you're going to put, you know, special thanks to so-and-so. But... Uh, some of the people that contribute are getting DVDs of the film, which I'm not going to release this movie on DVD uh, anytime soon. This is just going to be available just that one night all over the world on, on as many websites that want to join in. As a matter of fact, that's another thing, too. If you have a YouTube channel mm -hmm. or a website and you want to present the movie live that night, uh, you can sign up as an exhibitor. And it costs nothing to sign up. You can sign up as a viewer. You know, you'll get notified where to watch the movie at, what the web page is going to be. And um, it's going to be a monumental film, man. It's, it's, it's going to bring us to the moon the way we should have been there, you know. It's exactly. just going to be an amazing thing. So I'd appreciate anybody that will help out and pitch in. And that's all our listeners out there. If you're, if you, any of you have any money, which most of us don't, but if you do, <laughs> here, here's a good way to spend it and get some credit for it. Do a good thing, actually. You'll help make this movie. Well, yeah, plus, you know, we are presenting the moon for the first time in our history as the way it should have been a long time ago. If we would have known 
that the moon is full color. By the way, there's mountains made of solid gold up there. Oh, solid gold? I'm serious. I've, I've showed these photographs. Oh, my gosh. Do <laughs> panning for gold and stuff like that. And this one lady out of uh, Nevada, she goes, yeah, they look like gold mountains. You know, she said, boy, I'd love to go there and just, uh, you know, <laughs> sandblast or blast away, you know, portion of that mountain. But, you know, you can tell. And this is why it's amazing about full color. The full color photography, you see stuff like this. If you see a black and white photo of the same mountains, you're not going to catch it that it's solid gold wow. or made out of that texture, you know. Yeah, there's a reason to get get yourself an independent spaceship and go to the moon. <laughs> it's, yeah, well, see, check we're we're brought up saying it's uh, cheese. <laughs> Boy, were they lying to us? <laughs> check this out. There's an, a, a golden archway there. It's McDonald's crazy. is on the moon already. <laughs> golden arch, golden arch, man, and it's made out of gold. It appears to be solid gold, man. Wow, that's whoever unbelievable. Whoever built that, you know, built it out of gold. By the way, um, I have with me. Uh, friend of mine that I've known for many, many moons, man, <laughs> speaking of many moons, uh, ever since I, 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 I was on the scene with the UFOs, filming UFOs over Roswell and Midway, mm -hmm. I was on hard copy back in the early days. Uh, this man has been with me, man. He's been my friend. He's like a son to me, and I'll call him my son. His name is Jeff Ferris, and he's a pro-impact pro sports guy. You know, he's one of the original uh, skateboarders out there in the world. And, um, I'm going to throw him to you for a minute because okay. I got over. Yeah, hey, welcome to the show, Jeff. You're, uh, you're, any friend of his is a friend of our shows. All right, yeah. Hey, John, thanks, man. <laughs> you were involved in the, the rods too, right? Is that what uh, he was telling me yeah. off air? That's basically how, um, how I first met Jose. I mean, since I was a little kid, you know, I'd always been interested in, you know, UFOs in particular. And, uh, you know, I lived in Arizona at the time, and there was a convention coming to town. And I'd never been to a UFO convention, so I thought, you know, it would be kind of a, a fun new experience. So I went, and of course, they've got kind of a, a program with a list of the presenters and everything that's, that's going on. And, you know, with my interest in UFOs in particular, um, also just people that claim that they've got, you know, video footage. Um, so, yeah, I looked, and I, you know, I see Jose Escamilla, and he was... Uh, going to be doing a lecture on the Midway sightings, which, you know, Midway is kind of where it all started for uh, for him. Um, it's nine miles southeast of Roswell, New Mexico. And so, you know, he was claiming that he had all this, you know, broad daylight video footage. And so, you know, out of the, the list of people to pick to spend my hard-earned, you know, $30 on uh, uh, for a lecture, I chose Jose. And uh, lo and behold, I go in there and basically... I'm the only one. She's <laughs> you know, the only one in there? It came, yeah. There was um, one other guy that showed up kind of late, and then, you know, he, I think he actually ended up leaving relatively early. But, you know, this was an opportunity for, for him and I to just sit down, you know, like buddies one-on-one, -on -one, and he just, you know, scrolled through all of his, his, his UFO footage. And, you know, he's showing kind of, I don't want to say typical UFO shots, but, you know, the little uh, kind of white dots and little metallic silver discs, you know, in broad daylight, which, you know, that alone I thought was, was pretty interesting. And then suddenly he shows me this footage with, with these things just, you know, zipping across the screen. And I'm like, what, like, what is that? Right. Like, oh, those are rods. And I'm like, okay, rods, you know, what the heck is a rod? And, you know, that was actually just a, a term that they sort of coined for it because, you know, they didn't know really what to call them. 
Um, and I guess uh, a friend of his, you know, had some experience in healthcare and in nursing. And when they looked through the microscope, um, they'd see these little things that were shaped and they, you know, refer to them as rods. And so that's kind of how the, you know, the term got coined. Um, so that, you know, really piqued my interest because that's something uh, I had never heard of or seen ever before, you know. And, uh, you know, the UFO stuff was, was mind-blowing enough to see that footage. And now, you know, suddenly here's this whole new phenomenon. And that was sort of the birth of rods, you know. And, um, and the first time that, you know, I think as a researcher and even just as a regular person out there, um, it's, it's way more easier to believe, you know, something cause this, you know, they appear to be alive, like, like exactly. snakes or, you know, whatever. And I think that's way more believable to some, you know, saying, oh, this is not, you know, an alien spaceship. This is possibly just an unknown life form that, you know, has, has been around or could have been around, uh, you know, for all of our existence. And we just never happened to notice them before. You know, that's what I always kind of say about the rods is we didn't, uh, uh, you know, we just, we happen to be the first people that noticed them, you know, as far as we didn't really discover them. Uh, and so, yeah, I mean, that uh, we, we kept in touch, you know, after the, um, the convention. And we started talking about, you know, well, hey, maybe these things are, you know, because at that point it was uh, in, in Roswell or Midway specifically where these sightings were going on. And we're just thinking, well, maybe, you know, maybe the rods uh, are, are, could be seen in other areas, you know. Yeah. so did kind of like a little experiment where I set up my camera where I lived in, in Arizona at the time and, you know, got some, some tips from Jose. At that point, we didn't really have what we call the sky fishing protocol. Right. Things that we kind of learned about how to set your camera up and the settings and things like that. Uh, but, you know, I just, uh, I just set the camera up, let it run for a few hours at a time. He and caught one of the biggest rods there in Tempe, Arizona. It's a famous shot, too. Really? Yeah. I think that was the one that that appears to go behind this uh, telephone pole, which was kind of making the size of a whale. So yeah, it was a massive shot, man, and I'll never forget that one. I go, I, I was on the Danny Bonaducci show, okay, presenting okay. rods. Right, yeah, good old Danny. <laughs> Danny Bonaducci is a character, man, but yes. uh, at the time he had a serious type talk show, even though he had Danny well, did. <laughs> He had me on with UFOs and stuff. Yeah. Uh, had to be serious. Huh? Yeah, but he was uh, he, he was pretty funny. But I showed them Jeff's uh, shot, and the whole audience goes, the whole audience goes, whoa! You know, you could tell you had some of the uh, some of these tokers out there. <laughs> but they go, whoa! You know, and uh, but that was one of my favorite shots too. And this thing was trucking, man. We're okay. And they make the right angle turns. They do stuff that you would not think possible. Well, imagine, imagine seeing a whale in the sky. That's how big this thing was, you know. Well, yeah, and I didn't, you know, I didn't even notice. Well, I didn't, I didn't uh, watch it in real time, you know. I just did the typical leave the camera, let it run. And exactly. Then, you know, I'd have my some of my friends at the time, uh, you know, I was telling them about it, and they were really interested in it. So here we are kind of like sitting around the TV, watching the video footage in real time for hours at a time you know, staring at the screen. And that was actually entertainment uh, back then. You know? But <laughs> I started seeing these things, or at least what I thought were really similar to what Jose had captured, you know, and I wasn't really sure. So I, I sent off the the tapes to Jose. And, you know, I don't know, maybe a week or two later, we, we talked and he's like, you've got rods. I <laughs> so I, maybe I should see the doctor. I've got rods. What do you mean? <laughs> So, but, you know, he, he was able to pop it into his computer, you know, with the technology that he had at the time um, and kind of dissect the videos a little bit more. And, yeah, kind of found out that, 
well, hey, maybe maybe this is a phenomenon that can be captured anywhere, anywhere. In, yeah. in, you know, not only the United States, but the world. Well, I well, captured him here. I'm in Illinois, and I captured him here. That's that's how I found out about Jose years ago before I did this, because I found the, his uh, Roswell Rod site, because I, I sell yeah. and install surveillance systems, and I have infrared cameras, and I started catching these at my own house. And yeah. so that's how I know about them, too. So, I mean, I know these things are real. Yeah, yeah, and... and so, you know, that really kind of uh, drove me to just become a full-time, you know, sky watcher and, and, you know, specifically focusing some of my research now on rods. And he actually and, came out, uh, uh, it was in December, wasn't it? It was a yes, winter, it my, was a well, winter my month. Yes, well, my footage, you're right, was in December of 1994. Yeah, so, that's so he came out in December, went to Roswell, and, and uh, he came out to the place we have over there we call it the farm but it's oh that's right because jose had said you know it is another thing that piqued my interest at his um at his lecture you know he invited anyone to come on up you know if you don't believe him well hey come on up bring some lawn chairs sit down you know and and you can see him with me and so uh, of course i took him up on that and yeah i drove up to uh to uh, roswell or midway new mexico yeah and we were we were standing there um we're looking at the power lines because they were they were moving like uh, vibrating or vibrating something, or something strange, weird. Yeah. Huh. Pretty strange. A lot of strange activity happening there. But as we're looking at, you know, at the power lines, he and I kind of glanced at each other for an instant, and this rod flew right in between us. Yeah, we were standing facing each other. Yeah. You know, and I actually had my camera on. It was just in my hand, kind of facing you know, down. Yeah, right, holding down. And we're just talking, and then <laughs> right in front of us, we both kind of had that little look, you know, like, did, did you see that? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Did you see that? Uh, and unfortunately, you know, right, we didn't get the camera, but I, I know I've got the tapes somewhere where at least, you know, you can see, like, the dirt on the ground and hear our audio of us probably going, did you see that? What was that? Yeah, what the heck was that? Uh, yeah, and it was big. It was a pretty good size one. So, yeah, and at that point, boy, I mean... Uh, during those days, I mean, Jose even invited, you know, the local uh, news media came out and set their cameras up and also captured, you know, the same exact type thing. So, right. you know, it's like, all right, well, this could be a real thing. And like I was saying earlier, to the common person, it's it's way more believable to say, look, okay, this is not an alien spaceship from another planet, whatever. This could just be an undiscovered life form that's been around here and... Uh, you know, just we just didn't happen to notice it. That's exactly uh, what I say, because I know they're there, but I, I've stressed, I've talked about it on the show before. I'm not saying they're aliens. I'm not saying they're anything like that. I just think they're a life form we just never saw before. Exactly, yeah, yeah. And so, you know, um, we did the research, and we even started finding references back from the 1800s of, you know, I think it was what, Crawfordsville, Indiana, they were talking about this, you know, serpent in the sky it's a sky monster they call it Uh, sky monster yeah yeah and you know and and also looking at some of you know some of the older you know cave drawings or or you know artwork that dates Mm -hmm. back hundreds of years ago where you can see ufo shaped type things in the background well we've also found things with rod shaped things kind of drawn so that's like huh you know these could possibly have just been around forever and uh they're so fast, know. people, and you just don't see them. Those things just fly. Exactly. That's another thing. It's it's like, you know, if catch something out of the corner of your eye, and, you know, you just think, oh, it's a bug or, you know, whatever. Just maybe even my, my eyes playing tricks on me. But, you know, if you really just start looking, I think that's with, with UFOs in general. You know, most people aren't 
looking at the sky. They're driving, looking straight ahead. They're looking down at the sidewalk and they're walking. You got to just start looking up. Exactly. And you're bound to see something at some point. Well, it's easier than you think because one time I actually, I, I say I sell and install infrared cameras and remote control camera systems. And I was on the phone talking with a friend and we mentioned, uh, he was talking about there's UFOs everywhere. So this is a remote control camera from in the house. I click a button, I make it aim right up in the air. Within one minute, two UFOs flew right by, and I got them on video. Wow. It's like, holy crap, what are the odds of that? There you go. Yeah, yeah, and we, you know, back in the 90s, and we even, uh, in Arizona, we had, we had like a Skywatch group where we, uh, you yeah. know, got, just got together regularly every, uh, you know, uh, maybe Saturday or Friday and Saturday, but at least one of the weekend nights. And There was one time that the Fox Network came out to interview yes, you, remember? Yes, that's what I was going to get to, is, yeah. um, you know, I'd been, I'd done some of the shows with Jose, um, and I started to have, I had a couple of, you know, uh, regular UFO sightings that I captured on video. Again, broad daylight. One was in um, Santa Fe, New Mexico. One was in Blythe, California. Wow. And then, um, so I'm at home in Phoenix and I have a friend of mine that calls me and he knows that I'm, you know, who's kind of into the whole uh, UFO research and stuff. And he's like, hey, you know, I've been, I've been seeing this stuff uh, every day from my yard. Uh, these little, you know, white things cruising around way up in the sky. And you know, you know about that stuff. Can can you come over? So, you know, I jumped at the chance. I went over there with my camera. And uh, sure enough, I started seeing the same exact things. Now, they just looked like, you know, maybe disc-shaped, but more of like a very reflective type thing that were just hovering around way up there. And so I'm, you know, laying on my back, zooming in, trying to get the, you know, the best angles that I could. And I ended up calling up the Skywatch group that I worked with. A researcher at the time named Tom King, who was very involved in the famous Phoenix Lights sightings. Right. Um, he had one of the main videos that kind of made its round uh, forever. And so, uh, you know, it clicked on me. I'm like, all right, you know, broad daylight, uh, lots of witnesses. So I called up our local Fox News channel at the time. I said, hey, you know, I'm capturing UFOs in broad daylight you know, right, right now. now. <laughs> do, you, do you want to come out here with your cameras? <clears throat> so they come out. They capture the same object with their uh, TV cameras and broadcast it live on the 6 o'clock news. Now, oh, as far really? as I know, I think that was the first time UFOs have ever been shown live as it happened on, uh, you know, local news. Did and they do this seriously or they do that normal laughing like the news tends to do if it's a UFO oh, picture? Yeah, they they took it they took it pretty serious because I mean again you know any even something like that I mean I can throw a you know a rock up and and if you didn't know it was a rock then it's unidentified right so, never, you know always I try and keep it to where I'm not saying this is an alien spaceship but it's definitely something un, unidentified that's flying in the skies and so you know they they did good and plus you know the news would jump all over a story like this um, so yeah I mean I don't know if there if that has happened. Uh, prior to me or, or since then, but I thought that was kind of cool that you know, here this was a live sighting going on uh, on the news as it happened. Did you so, actually see these, you know, with your eyes or was it just through the camera oh, you saw them? hundred percent, yeah. Um, saw them with the eyes and then that's when, you know, I mean, I had the best camera that, that, that I could get at that time back in the 90s and, you know, uh, zoomed in and I, you know, I still have, I don't think any of that footage ever made it on any of the um, the shows that we did because a lot of them were, you know, more geared around just the rods phenomenon. Right. But yeah, I still have all the original, you know, old school eight millimeter tapes of, of this stuff. Mm -hmm. and, you know, yeah, at some point we'll have to bust those out and, and, uh, and get them, get them seen by people. I also remember at the time, some of the sky watchers um, had a scanner 
and they were Sky Harbor Airport, which is the airport in Phoenix. They picked up the channel and they heard them talking about an unknown at 30,000 feet. And I had gotten that, just the audio of the scanner with, you know, with my videos. So it's been years since I've pulled out any of those tapes to look at them. But, um, and boy, we have, I, I have a library of videotapes from all over the world, John. I, I mean, uh -huh. I, I have it in storage and that's all VHS tapes. Yeah. High eight tapes, eight millimeter tapes, like you saying, even these old VHSC tapes. Do you guys remember those? Wow. You know, this is like talking Betamax, man, yeah. back in the. <laughs> That's the bad thing is the technology back then, everything was videotapes. And so I, myself, I've got, you know, those plastic storage containers. I've got yeah. six or seven of those just filled with videotapes because when I you know, started appearing with Jose, um, you know, I had lots of people just kind of contact me because, you know, and it's still like they, they get stuff on video or they see something and they don't know what to do with it. They, they don't want people to think they're crazy. So they see guys like uh, Jose and myself and they figure, oh, I can send them to them. So I, I've got a collection of, of videos that probably never made it to any show or got yeah. much research out beyond us sitting around looking at it ourselves. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think there's a whole movie right there. Just like, you yeah, know, you I've have actually got. Hours and hours and hours of those too. I was telling Jose off air for rides because I used to have the camera set up at my home twenty four seven. Yeah, I actually got so many of them, believe it or not, that after a while I just quit saving them because <laughs> I, I was bored with it. I was, it was something I was seeing every day, but I've never seen them. I only see them under infrared. I've never seen them with my eyes. I literally will see them outside where my camera's aimed. I'll go outside and look. I don't see nothing. I come back in and I can see them on the camera, but I've never seen them with my eyes. Well, that's a whole, almost a whole category of UFOs in general. The They're invisible. Infrared stuff, right? They're More invisible. of the invisible oh, stuff. By the mm -hmm. way, John, I just sent you a link, and your listeners can go to YouTube right now and type in the number 25 and then the plus sign, and then rods flying information. 25 plus rods flying information. Cool. Now, this was taken with an IR camera, security camera, just like you were talking about installing. Uh -huh. installing. Check it out. It's yeah. going to freak you out, man. you got to see this video. We, you know what's good about those, actually, is most of these high-end ones like I do are watermarked, and you can't tamper with them or screw with them. So they're really legitimate if you get something on one of those cameras. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I just saw this today, and... Um, it's just a yeah. mind-blower. Take a look at it. I'll look... Uh, well, when we're off air, I'll look, because if I click it on now, audio is going to blast over, and that's really bad yeah, radio. No, no, that's fine. <laughs> but uh, uh, it, it's an amazing piece of footage, and... You can see stars, okay? So the way Curtis was talking about it, about this clip is that we can go, uh, I think there's an astronomy website. We're going to ask Bill Bryson, but you can type in where these stars are located and find out exactly what area of the sky you were shooting when uh, captured this shot. Well, is this something you just found, or is this something on, that was on YouTube, uh, or is it something from you? Well, no, this was on YouTube for, I think, about six months, but the people that shot it... Mm -hmm. Okay, this is a security cam, all right? So this is a high-end type right. AR system. And uh, they didn't want to lose their jobs, and so they just took it out of there and said, look, here, you guys own it. Don't even mention our names. Mm -hmm. It was shot over Seattle, and um, it's, some, it's some security company, man. And so it's just a, one of the most incredible rod shots well, I've it's seen. Got, as of now, it's got 38 views. So That's it. Well, after this airs Sunday night, I bet the views go up. There you go. Yeah, well, this is a, uh, my, my friend's um, uh, YouTube channel. Uh, it's called the Infrared... Um, Alliance. In, Infrared Sky, Sky Alliance. Alliance. Sorry. Yeah. 
You know what's we good s- about these type of cameras too is uh, like the ones I have. His might be too. Mine are 480 frames per second. Wow. Which is wow. really, you know, that blows fast. away video cameras. Yeah, that's fast. Well, that's when I, I heard all that crap they were, you know, hitting you about saying that rods are just nothing more than regular bugs and you're not seeing them right and everything. Well, being in surveillance and video and I do analysis, I've actually worked with police departments. I go through and I, I mean, I know what a firefly looks like. I know what a bug looks like. I know what a bee looks like. These that, are not bugs or bees. No. <laughs> and plus... When you're shooting at that kind of frame rate, it eliminates insects because what it does is you're shooting at a higher frame rate. And when you slow it down to our reality, which is 30 frames per second, what you're seeing is what's there, you know. You know what I've noticed, too? Maybe you have, too. I don't think I've ever asked you that. Do these just, I've seen these things just appear. I mean, it's not as if they come in from left or come in from right. All of a sudden, they're there. They shoot around, and they, like, disappear like they're... I don't know, interdimensional? I don't know. It's just I can't figure that out. At Midway, we had white rods that looked like ribbons. Uh-huh. Looked like ribbon. And those would phase in and out of reality. I mean, it, we had the camera set up in the sky. And there's this one perfect shot of a sky fish. Let me see if I can find it here. Um, the white ones? The, a, the white a, ones are... They're the, the ones that are amazing. pretty yeah. special. Those are the ones I've seen, and these things just appear in frame. And I can say 480 frame a second, all of a sudden it's in the middle of a frame. It shoots all over, and it's gone. Yeah. Yeah, yeah some of these original, the Midway ones, I haven't seen a whole lot that can match these because, I mean, talk about uh, behavior referred to like as a fly or as a living thing. These things definitely uh, are behaving like like they're alive. And yeah. I've never seen a rod, you know, usually you see them left to right just psh, scooting across the screen. This thing, you know, comes down, stops, goes to the left, goes to the right. right. You know. That's yeah, what I've that's... got in video, too, where they're just doing the weirdest yeah. things. They're shooting, they make a right angle, and then shoot left, shoot right, and yeah. they're gone. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So that, that's pretty good evidence. It's hard to, to deny that, okay, whatever that is, it's definitely... Something intelligent, it something exhibits, alive. Yeah, it exhibits know. like it's a, a living entity of some kind, a living thing. Yeah. And then plus we have them in outer space. We have shuttle footage of these things coming in and out of Earth. Right. right? Yeah, I first got some, some early <laughs> tapes of, of some of the NASA things and was showing that to Jose. And that's when we were like, wait a minute, these kind of look like rods. Now, that could be the only similarity. They just happen to look like them. But, you know, everything from, from up in space to coming in out of the ocean... We even have a shot. I have about five shots of uh, rod objects shot on Mars. Wow. Okay. By what are the rovers, man? They, they actually shot these rods, man. So rod objects. So we're not rod objects, yeah. yeah. We don't thing, know if it's but, the same one. But, you know, who knows? I mean. You know, as in heaven, on, on Earth as it is in heaven is the way they say. There so you, go. you um, never know. Well, these rods could be some sort of life form that is just everywhere. And we just now we're starting to discover them. Exactly. I mean, yeah. think of all, all the, the, the fish in the ocean that we haven't identified, all the plants and things in the rainforest. It's way more believable that, all right, this is just something living amongst us. That, uh, and there's probably tons of other things that we have yet to identify. And I don't know if that we've even really identified rods other than we know that they exist, but we don't really know what they are yet. So, yeah, and it's an amazing phenomenon. And it's been, what, since 1994 is when I first met Jose, and that's about the first time uh, he started capturing these rods. So however many years later we are, and we've gained a lot, you know, progressed quite a bit, but they're still unknowns. Plus, you know, what's great is we have people out there that are filming for rods. I'm not doing it anymore. I haven't done it in years. Mm-hmm. 
18 years ago. All right. But uh, I haven't done that in a long time, specifically because I've been busy making movies. Okay. I've, I've started getting back into editing and making films and things. But um, I am going to do Roswell Rods, the Jose Escamilla story. It's going to be a one and a half hour uh, documentary. That'll That's be good. Final, final installment on the Rods phenomenon. Yeah, I mean, it's been long enough now in between uh, some of the other videos that came out on Rods that, uh, you know, and like Jose was saying, is I as well, I don't really do a whole lot of sky watching because we've passed the torch. There's, you know, yeah. I mean, sitting around staring at your TV for hours on end was fun back in the 90s, but... Uh, <laughs> we don't do that know, But now, yeah, I mean, it's opened up to where there's, you know, so many other people now that are tracked with... with with our thinking and so plus they do the work plus we also have uh, filmmakers out there that are filming rods using 24p cameras which means uh-huh. it's not interlaced video that the debunkers tried to use explaining away the rods well it's just right. you know fields no 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 24p is 24p pal you exactly uh, they're filming these shots i'm getting i mean i've gotten a lot of footage from filmmakers and jose check this out this is hd 24p you know shot over um I think there was one uh, in Brazil when uh, they were making a film, and they shot it near the ocean. And this thing was huge, man. It just flies in and out, man. Lasts about four or five frames. But it's a beautiful rod shot, typical rod shot. Um, and then, like I said, there's people out there, uh, like, for example, Tiger Woods. Check this out. In August of 2006, oh. August 2006, during the, uh, one of the golf tournaments, I started getting emails and phone calls from people all over the country saying there's rods on on golf with Tiger Woods. Okay. Yeah, I actually saw that. There was a clip on TV or something. I don't know if that was from one of your yeah. sites or what. Yeah. There was well, a, and think of the, the, the camera settings they would need to use. That was so 5,000 5, frames per second. Yeah, so the golf ball isn't all blurry. It, it looks like a golf ball if you frame by frame it. and. You know, that's stuff that we learned way back on. Sure, if you're using the wrong settings, you know, there's some things that can be misidentified that look like rods. But we actually, in a video, we, we explained we that and showed that. you what a bug looks like and what... So. Right. And, and, you know, Monster Quest did a whole thing on rods. That was they, the one that where they kind of said you were an idiot, wasn't it? Yeah, they totally debunked it. And here's what Pretty they bad. did. Here's what they did. Um, they knew... And they lied to the American people in the audience, you know, and their sponsors should be ashamed for allowing that kind of programming to be done. But that's what they do. They, they blatantly lie to people because they know that people are very naive. They don't have any idea about how a camera, film camera works or, or a regular camcorder. When they did that test, shooting the rods at night, mm-hmm. they did that with intent to defraud people because they knew that the high-speed camera, as you well know, 400 frames per second, right. that film a moth as it is at night. But the camcorder, because you have to lower the shutter setting to the lowest possible setting, mm-hmm. uh, it's going to become a blur. And absolutely, they were shaking the leaves over there and getting moths to come out. But if they would have had any integrity, those producers, and I know their names, and if they would have had any integrity, man, as filmmakers and, and you know documenters, they would have done the same test in broad daylight. Exactly. Okay. Were they using that, IR lights too? Because I know that'll make everything look like some sort of monster. Yeah, possibly. But what they did is they deliberately lied to the people, you know. And and what it does is it only confuses the matter, okay? Because <laughs> people say, "Oh man, Escamilla's rods are nothing but insects." They've proven it. They didn't prove jack. Well, man. And, and if they did the research correctly, they they would have seen that what maybe ten years prior to theirs. 
we already did the same thing they we did. We did the camera test. You know, and, yeah. and exactly. said, insects can be misfilmed to look yeah. like rod-like objects. That's why we developed the sky fishing protocol. And exactly, there's, that was that's it. it. That's well, I remember when that monster quest thing went out, I was getting uh, all kinds of flack from my friends because I was big into them at that time, too. And they're like, see, it's that. I'm like, no, it's not. I go, that's right. not right. So I kind of went through the same thing, but not nearly as bad as you did. <laughs> well, you know, here's the thing, though. I've got them, man. When I come out with Roswell Rods, and I'm going to put it on them, man, you know, they're going to have to give me in writing an apology for lying to people. And I'm going to hit the sponsors. I'm going to hit the History Channel. I'm going to hit the production company. I'm going to say, you guys lied to the American public. You need to retract all the crap that you did. All right? Do the high-speed camera uh, test in broad daylight now. You should have done that then. And here's another thing, too. They promised they were going to show the space footage that I have, mm -hmm. the footage of rods coming out of the ocean, going into the ocean. And the way they did it was this way. The narrator, okay, they're showing. Now, here's what seemed to be rods coming in from uh, space. The narrator would just say, probably debris. And that was all that was shown. Okay? They showed uh, rods coming out of the ocean. The narrator, probably an insect. They would not go into the details, okay? Knowing that, it would destroy their insect theory. And when they did that test at night, that was just a hands-down blatant lie. And they deliberately did it. And uh, these people have no class. They have no integrity. But I've got the numbers, chumps, man. I'm coming to get you. you <laughs> we've got the footage. And we now have footage that's just going to blow this thing right out of proportion, man. Just like Celestial. Celestial's going to break ground in, in the world of astronomy. We're going to have brand new astronomers taking interest on the moon, shooting the moon in full color. Are you kidding me? What a brand new thing to be able to do. Exactly. You know, see the moon in full color for the first time in your lifetime, and we're going to have sets of brand new astronomers out there going for this. And uh, that's what Celestial is going to do, and that's what Roswell Rods, the film, is going to do. It's going to bring it down. And we're going to demonstrate exactly what Monster Quest did and why they did it that way. Because they wanted to make, you know, uh, keep people in the dark. In the yeah, dark yeah. they just wanted some kind of resolution and they figured that was the easiest way. But like, you know, like I was saying, if they'd actually done the research, they weren't telling us anything new. Uh, we know that, you know, that can be misfilmed. Yeah. But yeah, the, the, new, the new and final Rods uh, movie is going to be 25 years of research and of what we've learned nailing it and I've, i right. like i say i have footage we're done after this one, yeah that's you know. it no more rods or rods i mean we're passing the torch because you know what there's all new generations out there that'll be able to take this research now and take it to the next level you know there's a lot of smart people out there that can take the rods phenomenon and probably find a specimen eventually i've always believed there's probably a rod somewhere in some marine laboratory because they do have a life cycle in the oceans there's probably is an unknown jelly plankton in a freaking jar, you mm -hmm. know, and they just don't know what it is. But well, and who and what you know, uh, who wouldn't want to have their name attached to the discovery of a new life form? Exactly, you know? no doubt yeah. about it. Yeah. So uh, that's the next level, man. So I have four movies to do: UFO, The Great Story of Denied, Part Three, UFOs from Outer Space, which shows you UFOs only shot in from outer space by NASA. Nothing shot from Earth. This is all stuff that's being shot by the Hubble and other telescopes that are out there. The stuff that's uh, surrounding the sun. You've you mentioned that earlier, you know. Um, oh yeah, that that one about uh, taking there 
One came during a solar flare or something, wasn't it? Wasn't there a cloaked ship or something they said? That was, that was just one near the planet Mercury. I'm talking about a huge object that's near the sun right now. It's still there. Oh, it's that one huge. that's still there then, huh? Yeah, it's still there. And it's uh, one of the orbiting UFOs that have been showing up for the last three years, you know. So I'm doing that. I'm going to finish doing the Battle of Los Angeles documentary. I can't afford to get 12 million together to do feature film. So I'm just going to do the, the documentary just to keep the record straight because they are coming out again with part two of that film that they did, they spent $70 million on. It's called oh, Battle. Battle. But that really Battle didn't Los have Angeles. anything to do with the actual... It was just more of the, the title was similar to... Yeah. It didn't really have anything to do with the actual event. No, but it confused the title, yeah, and people was, think that the Battle of Los Angeles is not real because of that. So yeah. I'm going to do that film. Battle L.A. That's what it was yeah, called. Yeah, Battle colon Battle, L.A. Yeah, colon. So I'm doing that, and uh, of course doing Celestial. And then Roswell Rods, man. And that's going to be, uh, after that, I want to do what I was doing before the UFO stepped into my, my life and changed my life. I'm going to make feature films, man. We have a dinosaur movie to make. We have uh, a couple of comedies, you know. And, you know, just uh, you got a lot on your plate there, don't you? Yeah, yeah. Well, I want to uh, live it to the extent, man. You know, Always does. For anyone, you know, that that just knows Jose from the Internet and think he's just faking stuff or just always out to get money, blah, 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 whatever. We've adopted each other as father and son now for, for many years. And I'll tell you, he's one of the most hardworking, persistent individuals I've ever met. You know, it has nothing to do with money. It has to do with intelligence, you know, finding, seeing these things and wanting, well, if this is real, let's, let's propose it to the people. Everyone should have the right to see this or the right to know the truth. And that's really what, what this guy is behind. It, it has nothing to do with, you know, trying to make millions because I guarantee you that has <laughs> never even come close. Not going to happen. Well, oh, I agree, too, because uh, him and I talk off air a lot more than we talk on air. And he's just a nice, normal, down-to-earth person. He's 100% legit. <laughs> And, and the you know some of the things I've read on forums and on the internet, it's like they really have no idea uh, who he is or what he's about. Um, but it's only what they read and see online, and I just think it's a shame um, because you know, yeah, <laughs> like you said, he's just a normal person like us and just stumbled upon this and you know has been using his skills and his intelligence to go after the truth behind you know one of the uh, oldest uh, mysteries. Out there. And he enjoys this subject. I say him and I will talk an hour before we do our interview just discussing yeah, stuff yeah. before we even go on the air. <laughs> Absolutely. I know I've mentioned a couple of times here that, you know, we talked earlier, but your audience didn't hear us talking. But, uh, yeah. Right. Well, most of that they could have heard. Some of it they shouldn't. But most of it they could have heard. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> I always say my off-air talk with my guest would be such an interesting show someday. <laughs> <laughs> You can bet on that one. <laughs> so what else is going on? Anything else you got? That's it. You know, we're going to watch, uh, try to watch the fights tonight. You know, the UFC. Right, Strike Force. Yeah. Showtime. Pretty cool stuff. And uh, yeah. there's a website out there that we always check out after hours and all the fights are there. Okay. Sounds good then. <laughs> well, uh, you want to give your website any more information here in closing then? Yeah. Yeah. Let me do that. Uh, that's tblnfilms.com. Click on the Celestial Moon uh, banner and, uh, hey, send me $50. Make me holla.
Yeah. <laughs> I'll give you a special thanks credit, man. Come send them a, send them a few thousand. Screw that fifty bucks. Give them some money. <laughs> I don't and don't read into that for the listeners. Don't read into it that way. As, as jokingly as he's saying that, yeah. really the, the money is just because he puts every dime that he doesn't even have to try and get this out. And this is basically any money that's donated is helping this information to present it to a larger audience. Exactly. He's just a normal guy, working guy, and this money actually is going to get the movie out. It's what it is. He's not doing this yep. for profit. He's doing it so he can afford to do it. There you go. I'm that's, putting it out there for free it. for everybody to see this. You've got to see the moon in full color. Oh, yeah. I, I, I can't say enough about that. That thing you sent me is just truly amazing. Yeah, it's. Uh, I definitely watched that uh, that Rod video that he sent you with the twenty five, and uh, <laughs> I'd like to wild. hear your reaction off air. Oh yeah, yeah, John, check this out. I'll be that doing that as awesome. soon as we uh, we <laughs> we get off air here. It's an IR camera, like the kinds that you've worked with. So, uh, you know, and I think the guy put the name, make, and model that and, kind well, there, of thing. And there is some kind of code at the bottom of the video too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that, like I said, that stuff's cool because it's watermarked. Which I mean, if you're in filmmaking, yeah. you know what I mean. You can't fake that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Okay, well, it's been great talking to both of you, and uh, we'll be right back after this break. That was Jose Escamilla, and you're listening to Thresholds Radio. We'll be right back. TheEdgeOnAir.com wants to invite you to be abducted. Tune in Friday night starting at 10 p.m. for Thresholds Radio. Host John Stevenson is your guide through the realm of the paranormal with an hour-long radio show sure to give you the heebie-jeebies. Check out ufo-info.com to learn more. It's Thresholds Radio every Friday night at 10 p.m. on TheEdgeOnAir.com. I'm Anthony Kay, and with me is John Stevenson. Right now we have Jeff Mudge done line welcome back to the show jeff how you doing this evening john it's uh it's a pleasure to be back on it's been uh, three or four months since i was last on and i tell you what i've been looking forward to it uh since you gave me the opening i know a lot of stuff's happened since then too uh, you and i talk off air all the time but uh, we thought we'd let the listeners hear us this time john you know you're uh, of all the people i've met since starting this uh this escapade with my book uh, and learning a little bit about the paranormal, you're uh, you're the friend I trust the most, who I go to for help when uh, a wall. And uh, I tell you what, hundred uh, percent so far, I've ca- I can count on you uh, to to help me uh, come through any problems I get. I uh, really appreciate it. Oh, thank you. And the checks in the mail for that. <laughs> <laughs> so, wh- what's been going on? We haven't talked in a while. I know there's new news about uh, the handwriting analysis and uh, Jack the Ripper and all kinds of stuff. Why don't you just kind of jump right in? Well, I tell you, it's um, starting to steamroll. Uh, it's turning into an actual tidal wave where, um, as you know, we went the first six months after publishing pretty much invisible to the world, the story of the real story of H.H. Holmes and uh, how my life changed when I found out he was my great-great-grandfather. Now we're not invisible and we have some, uh, well, some very important people who are interested in helping me tell the story to the world. So um, TV's starting to happen and we're starting to have some movie studios looking at the story and uh, it's, uh, it's an exciting thing to observe. And uh, tell you the truth, I've just been holding my breath and riding along, and uh, so far it seems uh, it seems pretty good. Yeah, it's going along good. I mean, once you get into that handwriting analysis, I found that extremely intriguing. All right, as you recall, 
we had uh, about six months after publishing, I had a man named Mark Potts notify me that, uh, well, he had read my theories about Holmes being Jack the Ripper. He was uh, interested in my evidence and my, uh, my arguments. Um, but he had some real forensic evidence, which, as you know, there's very little actual real evidence that a lawyer could appreciate about Jack the Ripper and the hundreds of suspects that we, well, we've got another one now. The, the, the author that's uh, writing the book, that uh, he's arguing that uh, Jack the Ripper was uh, a woman. Yeah, we'll, so, we'll get into that one in just a little bit, but that's definitely another one we want to talk about. <laughs> it's a great discussion, and uh, it's uh, I'm looking forward to that, but... Mark uh, told me, he said, hey, I've got something here that uh, goes beyond, you know, another author just guessing who they thought Jack the Ripper was. So he, uh, he gave me his uh, file on what he had done with the uh, British uh, Library and their experts about some handwriting analysis that he had, they had compared of Holmes the notes that Holmes had done while he was in prison awaiting execution and the dear boss and the from hell letters that the famous Jack the Ripper letters. Well, as I've showed you, John, before their expert came back with a conclusion that said, listen, there's no doubt this is the same hand. Well, as you know, last time when I was on your show, I explained, you know, the Supreme court had pretty much eliminated uh, based on whether you could, you're a, you're a lawyer's ability to get an expert to say one thing and then a lawyer's ability to get an expert to say another thing on the same handwriting comparison. And the, and the Supreme Court had pretty much said, listen, we can't send a man to prison on this. You got, you, you've got to get more. Well, the Justice Department and the post office had created uh, an entity, not really created. They had, uh, they had hired an entity at the University of Buffalo, um, brilliant guys that uh, – uh, ran computer programs who had created a program that would put millions of dots on each letter and compare the handwriting of two documents and come back with a number which was pretty much uh, locked in about saying, yes, this is the same document. So I called them, uh, figuring I'd get a you know a no, uh, the door closed in my face. Well, no, they were very eager to help. And they came back after two or three months with a number of 97% on this comparison their computer had run. Um, so the, the, the uh, evidence that I wanted to show the world was getting stronger and stronger all the time. Now, you and I have already discussed the fact that the, this handwriting and these letters, when we prove, which I think we have, that they are homes doesn't prove that he held the scalpel in his hand. Right. And that's, that's, that's a major step. That's a, that's a major step that in a criminal trial you would have to fill that gap in order to put that man in, in prison. So, But what it does do is we can prove that Holmes was there at the time, that he was interested in this case, and then it's not much of a jump for reasonable people to say, listen, here's, here's the guy that killed hundreds of people in the United States. He's in London at the time. He's interested in this case. And he had the knowledge and the expertise, which 
the pathologists have always said was required for the first two or three murders. Yeah, they always said Those, Jack the Ripper must have been a surgeon or a doctor. An expert surgeon, not just a surgeon, a good one, because you're talking about him removing the organs from females without damaging the bordering organs, which is a near impossibility under the circumstances. Right. But he did But he did it. He removed uterus and he removed liver. Now, the third, fourth, and fifth, maybe the third, but the fourth and fifth for sure murders, Scotland Yard has always believed were copycats because those were just slashings. There were no, there, there was the surgical expertise evident in the first two just wasn't, wasn't there. Oh, okay. So now all of a sudden we have Holmes interested there in London and with the knowledge to have removed those organs the way they were done. And uh, pretty soon we're getting into, uh, I don't know if your listeners know this, but I, I used to practice uh, criminal law in California. And we all think that, you know, the, the cases, we, well, they are beyond a reasonable doubt. But beyond that reasonable doubt is created by putting together a lot of circumstantial evidence. So when you start putting this stuff together that we're starting to pile up about Holmes, you know, the ship he was on, the letters he sent back to people about not liking the London papers, you know, with the dates that were uh, relevant to the murders, all those kind of things. Right. This handwriting and now this knowledge, um, the fact that he was interested in hormone science and he's removing uterus with ovaries. Now we're starting to put pretty much of a mountain of circumstantial evidence together that uh, I, I – uh, these people that come up with these other suspects – I had a – I was on a show yesterday, John, and uh, a man called in and said, uh, you're wrong. Holmes can't be Jack the Ripper. My father worked 40 years on proving this case. <laughs> and yeah, so the host and I, we, we, we let him discuss his evidence. Um, we considered it, and then uh, the host, uh, Barry uh, – uh, to, uh, very uh, adeptly asked, now what was the man's profession? Well, he cleaned fish down in the harbor. <laughs> okay, that's not quite the same. Not quite the same, and the host, without you know insulting you know one of his listeners, said, now that that's a long way from cleaning fish to removing a woman's uterus, you know, right. in the fog on a street in London. So that's that's where we are with Holmes and Jack the Ripper. I'm trying to create interest, and I've got a, a, a cable company interested in putting on a miniseries on TV of a mock trial with real lawyers, with a real jury, with a real judge, with real evidence. Oh, that's a great idea. Isn't that great? And proving beyond a reasonable doubt that Holmes was Jack the Ripper. These, this studio, this cable company is very interested, and I tell you, I'm very excited about it. I'm trying to get them to let me be the prosecuting attorney. Oh, um, yeah, there you go. <laughs> I don't know if they will. I'd have to uh, dust off my old uh, law books. Well, having a background in law, Jeff, uh, I'm not real familiar with law, but a 97%, you know, on the handwriting. In modern law, you know, on a, on a real case today, would that be enough for them to proceed? Well, John... Uh, you're on the jury, okay? Okay. You, you have a handwriting analysis that the uh, an expert says it is, and then a computer says is 97%. Where do you go with that? Yeah, to, I mean, to me it is. I just, I'm not sure about the law. To me it seems kind of obvious. It, 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 you know, definitely would appear to be. 
That, that decision is not a law decision. That is a decision whether you consider it reasonable to make that step in judgment as a member of the jury. And um, right. I, I don't think that's a hard jump. Well, between the handwriting at 97%, the surgical skills, the timing, I mean, everything about it, when you combine all those, it's, it's almost like an open and shut. Well, and you've seen that. Uh, remember the uh, the drawing that the BBC did about ten years ago from all the uh, people don't realize this, but there's seven or eight eyewitnesses of the Ripper uh, either coming to a scene or leaving a scene. Um, the uh, BBC put together with the London Police, they had a few experts put together a uh, composite drawing from these from these uh, eyewitness accounts. When you put that forensic uh, portrait of of the Ripper up against the black and white of Holmes. It's it's very easy to make uh, to make that judgment too. Did was Holmes ever known to do the same type of uh, you know things to women as far as the surgeries and the removal, or do do we know what he did as far as you know the type of tortures he did to people? Oh yeah, it's in and that's in my book uh, Bloodstains. He was interested in longevity, uh, John. He wanted to live forever. He knew the secret was in hormone, and he knew the source of hormone was in a uh, woman's ovaries. So uh, he removed quite a few. Okay, so I mean that's a that's a connection that's just beyond coincidence. Then, for me, it is. Uh, I, obviously, it's not absolute proof, but it's another piece of circumstantial evidence. Yeah, I'd like to see a mock trial on this. I mean, uh, I I'd really be curious to see how it ended up. I kind of have a hunch. I already know though. There's no doubt in my mind. I. I find it fascinating. Here, here's another. Here's another. Uh, another uh, interesting uh, note. This uh, this gentleman that's coming out now with the evidence that it may be a woman right. states states that one of the reasons it has to be a woman was because none of these victims were raped. Um, that that's that's his his evidence. That's not really an evidence. But, uh, well, Holmes never raped a woman his whole life, and he had 200 mistresses, six wives, and you know murdered hundreds. That's not who he was, and to use that as a piece of evidence to say it wasn't him is uh, silly in my opinion. During those times, women had no right to know anything. It just seems like a woman couldn't have done that. Not saying that they couldn't, but it just doesn't seem possible in those days, if, if that makes any sense. Uh, you know, Victorian London at that time, I would have thought, and I, all I've done is read history or seen some of the Hollywood stuff about it, but it would have been very hard for a woman to have pulled this off. Plus, you have eyewitness accounts who would have seen strange mannerisms in this killer leaving the scene, and none of that comes out when you review the statements. Right. Well, how, how do you, how did you, what's your reaction to this uh, new thing that says Jack the Ripper was a woman? I mean, I know I was shocked when I saw that, but uh, this is the newest of all kinds of things that constantly come out, though, too. Well, he's, he's uh, his publishers and he, uh, you know, they're doing a good job of uh, advertising. It's all around. I mean, I saw it... Uh, the other day at the uh, supermarket in the Inquirer. Well, did you see my my response on Facebook? No, I didn't. <laughs> I'm positive it was your great-great-grandfather, so my response was, does that mean uh, Jeff's great-great-grandfather was a, a cross-dresser? Because it's obvious it was him that did it, so what are they trying to say? He wore dresses? Right. Now, I, now I remember your comment. Now. Well, you know, she if it was a she, she would have had to have cross-dressed to have committed these crimes. You know, John, you and I have discussed 
it's amazing to me this resistance we find from such an easy jump in solving one of history's great mysteries when here's a man that we know was in London who committed hundreds of murders here in the States. Um, why is it so hard for them to even consider the fact that he may have been the one? No, isn't uh, England completely against this too, London and all those guys? There's no way Jack the Ripper could have been a Yank. You know, I've been interviewed by uh, New York papers, uh, Wash, uh, Chicago papers about it. I've been put on WGN uh, discussing Jack the Ripper and Holmes. Fascinating um, episodes. I enjoyed them all. I've never been contacted by the BBC. I, I was I, That fascinated me. Why wouldn't they want to uh, do that? Anyone else that comes out with a theory about the Ripper is instantly just devoured by the BBC. Hmm. Well... Well, I found out they came out with a miniseries about a month ago that they'd been filming in two years in Ireland about who they thought Jack the Ripper was. Well, imagine that. And maybe we'll get a response, too, because uh, when I look at the stats from our show, we actually got a large following in uh, the U.K., so maybe we can get somebody's attention and they'll contact you. And, you know, John, I'm not asking them to believe what I'm saying. Let's uh, let's let's have the BBC sponsor a mock trial with uh, we can go do English evidence. The crimes were committed in London. Let's use English evidence. I think it would be a great a great entertaining TV history show for them to put on. Yeah. You know, I'm uh, I'm uh, in the near future. I get to go into the basement at the post office with uh, a History Channel film crew, okay. and they want they want to film me walking through the basement. They're doing a uh, a new series called uh, The Fear Files. And uh, they want this to be one of their first shows. I think it would probably air uh, September or October. But uh, I'm excited about going back down into the basement. We have we have permission from the post office. It took us a while to get it. Um, so I'm to tell you the truth, uh, John. I'm not thrilled about going back down into a place I promised myself I never would return to. Right. Uh, You'll remember we talked about this. I the first time I went down into maybe you know maybe one of the most horrible places on the face of the earth. I didn't believe in paranormal. I didn't believe in spiritual. I didn't believe in God. To tell you the truth, an hour later when I came back out um, up those two uh, flights of stairs, I believed in all three. My life had changed in an hour, mm -hmm. and I would. I'm just hoping that maybe. Um, if we get if we get the right experts, if we get the right type of equipment down there that, uh, you know, Harper's Magazine uh, 60 years ago wrote an article stating that if ever the paranormal was going to be proven, it was going to be at 63rd and Wallace. And I'm uh, I tell you what, I'm excited about maybe being a part of an incredible uh, discovery in in, uh, in humankind. I know we've been talking about, well, the one you're talking about now is just more of a history perspective thing, but we've been talking about actually going an investigation down there, and I'm psyched about that because not only is that place full of evil, I'm going to be going down there with you, who is the great-great-grandson of the person that killed these souls. So to me, that's, uh, <laughs> that's going to be one of the most amazing things I've ever gone to, I believe. You know, um, we're, uh, I'm having a meeting with the PBS people about doing that with the A-team the A of Paranormal. I've, I've been trying to find out the five or six best 
people in the world, uh, investigators, and uh, you're you're one of them. I want you to run the, the command center up on the floor above, uh, watching all the cameras and the equipment, and then uh, trying to see if we can come up with, uh, well, with indications of uh, something down there. Now, when you go to the post office, um, the employees there all believe it's haunted. They don't use the basement anymore. They had so many alarms going off that, it, and in the federal government, I guess you've got to fill a report out for everything. Yeah. They just they just finally shut it down. Um, when when I went down, um, I saw and heard things which my neurologist said had to do with seizures because of my epilepsy. Um, when I backed those doctors into a corner and said, well, how do you explain me seeing things I'd never read about before, um, following that vision up with research and finding out it was true? Well, none of them had answers for that. So I'm hoping you can help me, John, with some um, with 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 a great investigation of perhaps the place where it can be proven. Yeah, I'm excited. I mean, if any place is going to have uh, souls around or spirits, that's going to be one of them because they all died in such terrible ways. And you always, what they always say is, when people die you know, unexpected or in terrible ways, they tend to haunt. You know, and and we didn't do the right thing um, when we built the post office over the top of that without setting them free first and uh they're if if they are down there they are tortured and i'm hoping that um with this kind of show uh, maybe we can do the right thing finally i've i've uh, i tell you what uh, i'll give your uh, your listeners first um i'm in i was in contact with the white house um about them allowing me uh, with my own funds from sales of the book to erect a monument on the grass outside honoring the victims. Nothing to do with homes, but honoring the victims that were killed and murdered, their tortured, terrible deaths, and maybe, uh, maybe uh, setting them free with a, uh, with, a, uh, with a few talks from people that know how to do this. Right. And, uh, and the response has been positive, and the uh, post office, the head office of the post office in D.C., is considering so I'm hoping uh, I've asked the History Channel to allow me to mention it on the show and uh, and they're positive on it too so we may be moving in the right direction that'd be a great idea plus that is a historical site and uh, you know it's history whether it's good or bad it was a it was history and it happened yeah and um, you know that's one thing I I don't like selling on interviews but if any of your listeners um, needed uh, a reason to uh, enjoy and read my book. That's one of them because the uh, proceeds, I, I need help uh, erecting that monument. Yeah, and your book for the listeners that know is Bloodstains, and it's a uh, absolutely amazing book. Everyone I know that's read that book has come away just shocked. And like I was telling Jeff off air, my, uh, my mother's a big book reader, and she read your book and said it was the best written book she's ever read. But besides that, it was just an amazing book. And on a side note, she forbids me to go into the basement with you after reading your book. Don't tell her you're part of the 18, John. Don't tell her. <laughs> the thing is, I'm not just kidding either. I'm dead serious. She's like, you can't go down in the basement with him. <laughs> I, uh, I want you to go down because, like I say, uh, from the start, you have been dead honest on all your recommendations and advice, and I really appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. So what else has been going on, Jeff? We haven't talked in a while. I mean, we, got, we covered... Uh, the handwriting analysis, what other news you got going on or what things you've been doing? I know you've been uh, speaking all over the place. I've been, I've been going and uh, talking to people about 
Um, what, what we're finding out, John, is, in, is the book, instead of just being another historical piece about, you know, a serial killer, it's more of a, uh, a journey into the human condition. It's, it's what happened to me in my normal life after finding out that, you know, my genes were tied to probably the most evil thing that had ever lived on our planet. Um, I know people would argue certain historical, you know, um, infamous uh, figures, obviously, that were horrible people. But he didn't wear a uniform. He didn't order other people. He did these things. And he and the and the strangest part about it was here's a man with maybe the highest IQ ever recorded at the University of Michigan who knew exactly what he was doing, made a conscious decision to continue being evil and enjoyed his life immensely. And I think, I think it's a, uh, he needs to be studied, John. And I, I'd like to get that information out so that instead of those easy things we do now about saying someone that kills four or five people, here's a serial killer that's psychotic. He's got a mental condition. We can fix this guy. Mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe we need to look at it different ways, John. And I think studying Holmes might might uh, get us over to the right side to where we admit that sometimes you can't fix this guy. This is just a monster that has to be put down or just put away for good without any pearl, without those silly things that we sometimes do with these evil people. And uh, and let's do and let's figure out the right uh, the, the right thing about it all. You know, as far as uh, putting them down, so to speak, I know you were talking about that you didn't think that the person that died was him. Do you want to go into that a bit for some people that might not have read your book yet? Sure. It's uh, the stories about Holmes um, all uh, detail his arrest, his trial, which was uh, an incredible trial, which was the O.J. Simpson trial at the turn of the century. Um, he was tried for not, and amazing as it sounds for none of the murders at the murder castle at that at 63rd and Wallace. He was tried for the murders of three children that he killed in Indiana. Oh, that's the, interesting. Yeah, isn't that isn't <laughs> that that that's that's uh, something else that uh, that's fascinating. Well, and his trial, he fired his lawyers conducted his own defense, and they still use some of his techniques, this man who had never been a lawyer before, in law school today. I mean, that's how brilliant he was. Wow. Um, The books all discuss, after he was allegedly hanged, about a Holmes curse that many of the people involved in his arrest, his trial, and his execution either suffered death or had terrible misfortune. The New York Times wrote about it. The Tribune wrote about it. Um, all the all the big papers. They all wanted to discuss: is this pure coincidence or some type of supernatural evil? Well, instead of going that way, I started looking at the evidence and the events that occurred after, immediately after and before the hanging. He talked the judge into doing things that were not normal based on his uh, gifts to charity. He talked the judge into not requiring a pathology after the death, which was, which was law in Pennsylvania. He allowed, the judge allowed a hood to be used on homes. He allowed 
as the body came down through the gallows, it was laid in a coffin, immediately filled with concrete. Well, John, when have you ever heard of a body being, the coffin being filled with concrete after a hanging? I don't think I've ever heard of that, actually. (laughs) I don't don't think so. And and you know what? If it had, we would have, you and I both know someone would have notified me by now. I get information. How did he get away with getting these demands or, you know, these requests being who he was? I mean, it's amazing that they actually let him have these things that he wanted done. You know, uh, John, he, he had a lot of money. He knew how to use money. But... Of all the gifts that he had, the one that stood out the most in my study of his nature um, was his ability to talk, um, his words, his gifts of expression, how he could bewilder and illuminate people. He was just an orator exceptional. And he probably talked this judge into allowing these things to happen Mm -hmm. so that when the body was laid down in the coffin and the concrete filled it, um, Pinkerton guards took over. He actually hired these guards. Um, they took it with a mule team to the cemetery where a 10-foot hole was waiting. The coffin was laid down, and then that hole was filled with concrete. Now think of that. That's amazing. Then the Pinkerton guards stayed two nights as the concrete hardened wow. because Holmes knew that if they weren't there, it would have been dug up, and his brain would have been removed. He was offered, I think, $20,000 by a medical school in America for his brain. He obviously turned it down. <laughs> um, when, when, you know, when, you, when you read about Holmes and get to know who he was, he could have cared less about what happened to his body after he was dead. He didn't believe in those things. The hydrocarbons that existed would have been garbage to him. He wouldn't have cared. He knew that if that body was dug up and if it was determined it wasn't him, you would have seen the greatest manhunt since Abraham Lincoln's assassination. Oh, exactly. The police would not have arrested him. They would have shot him on the spot. He knew all that. Back then, concrete was pretty much indestructible. Mm-hmm. There, there weren't the jackhammers and things you have now. Exactly. I mean, it could have done. They could have done it, but it wouldn't have been done in secret. So he knew this was pretty much giving him a blank check to continue life as someone new and wiping off the slate completely. I think it's an amazing possibility, and one that the other the great thing about my story, John, is that most authors that come up with an idea or a theory like this. They don't have the opportunity to walk it through to yes or no. I have that ability. We're going to go through the process of getting permission to dig him up, exhume him. Mm -hmm. It's not, it's, it won't be a problem. I'm, I'm relative. It's because you're family, right? It shouldn't be that much of an issue. I'm assuming there is there. The one issue is, is once the the state hangs or executes um, someone, they pretty much take over being the family. But I think we'll be able to do it because there's no no sympathy for this monster. Right. Um, we'll be able to dig him up. I think I've already been contacted by the Natural History Museum in D.C. and the Smithsonian about them wanting to be involved. Then we're going to pull out the remains, um, which is an interesting subject in itself. No one really knows how it's going to look when you crack that concrete open, which I I find fascinating. Exactly. We're going to take tissue from my body and compare it with the DNA from the remains. 
so that we'll be able to stand. And it, I, I had no idea that it takes six or seven months to do these, these tests. Yeah, not according to TV, it doesn't. It's usually, uh, you know, one commercial break. Yeah, well, I, I'm finding out it takes a little longer than that. Yeah. So I'll be able to stand up and either apologize to your listeners one day on the radio for being wrong. No, that was Herman and he was hung and it's all over. But I'm pretty sure, maybe that 97% number again, I'm pretty sure it's not him. It was one of his guards and that uh, Herman uh, went off and started a new life together doing the same things he'd done earlier. Imagine the consequences of that. I mean, murders after he was dead in various places throughout the country actually could have came back to him too. It was uh, yesterday on the show, uh, again, the host uh, brought up uh, a, a fact that I hadn't thought of before. He said, you know, he said, I, I already believe it's true, absolutely. And I said, well, why? He said, just his description of being in San Francisco at the time of the earthquake and the fire, he said, you couldn't have created that from your imagination. And I, and I said, I, well, I don't know whether that's a compliment or not, but, but I'm with you on that. Hmm. So it was uh, interesting. But uh, so, you know, think of the, uh, well, think of the fortune I have. Not only do I get to raise this theory with the world, uh, try to present evidence about it, but we, we get to come to absolute yes or no. And I'm excited. Another thing, too, Jeff, kind of slightly off subject, you want interaction with your audience. You want people to know that read your book and otherwise they can talk to you very soon on the website, but right now on Facebook, and you'll interact with them. You're not one of those authors that writes the books and sell it. You'll talk to the people. You want interaction. You want to hear their stories, right? You know, John, absolutely. If there's a reader out there, a listener out there, a viewer that can prove my theory's wrong, I'm not afraid of them uh, presenting their evidence. That's what I did for a living. Uh, bring it on. If, and if it means um, that my theories don't work, um, I'm, uh, I'm, all, I'm 100% for that. I want the truth to be known, and I want history to be correct. Exactly. But like I say, you do want interaction from your people. We're stressing it. I know uh, I'm actually going to be redoing your website for you shortly, but on Facebook right now, people can connect to you and talk to you, unlike a lot of authors out there that you know do the books and they want nothing to really do with you. You want to hear everyone's opinion. You want to hear all that stuff. And I want to stress that. I want the listeners, if they read your book, if you have a question for Jeff, go on his Facebook page right now or his website in the near future. Ask him his questions. Absolutely. And give out your website again right now, Jeff, before we go too much farther. Um, just, you know what, the easiest way to go to the, the, to the book now on the website is uh, uh, because of... Just Google you know, it, search it. Just, you know, if you Google and search uh, bloodstains, one word, um, when we started, we were down about 16 pages. We are now the top of the first page because of help from guys like you, John. So if they, uh, if they Google bloodstains, they'll go right to our webpage. That's cool. And like I say, pretty soon it's going to be extremely interactive where they can come and talk to you because you, you sit on there way too much, you already told me. <laughs> so they can come on there and talk to you all the time. <laughs> yeah, I, I, uh, I think I can get better interaction with, uh, with readers and uh, students of history on the webpage instead of just uh, putting too much time on the Facebook. I, I like Facebook. I enjoy it. I intend to put time into it uh, even when we get interactive with the webpage. But uh, I'm going to split it up a little more. I agree. So what do you got coming up? Anything I like say, I know you're always at different things. You got any big ones coming up? 
I've got a, I've, I'm really excited. I've got a big one in New York in June, um, in, in front of, uh, three or 4,000 people. Um, it's, uh, I forget the name of it. It's, uh, it's the uh, 2012 uh, New York Paranormal with, uh, I tell you what, they've got it. They put their poster up yesterday on Facebook and the list of speakers is uh, very impressive. And that's two straight days of uh, uh, an event that I'm really looking forward to. And um, I'm looking forward to uh, hopefully being able to uh, discuss going back down into the basement with the film crew because I think we'll be done by then. Yeah, well, that one's going to be pretty good. That that's what what the History Channel isn't it? The History Channel's putting that on. Um, um, it's called Pilgrim Studios, but they're the ones that uh, pretty much do all the stuff for History Channel, and uh, their uh, their film their film crew and audio and editing is uh, renowned in the industry. Some of the best. Yeah, that should be good. That's like I said. That one's more of a historical thing, though. This is that one's nothing to do with the paranormal side. That's just the history and everything like that. This one is, is total history. They want to, as soon as we're done in the basement in the post office, we're going to a, uh, a glass factory that Holmes owned in Chicago as well. I didn't write about it in the book, but it's, uh, it's interesting because you know how they make glass um, with a temperature that was hot enough to eliminate uh, human waste as well. Exactly. The, the-, the theory is, is that's where he got rid of the bodies that were overloading the murder castle. Um, so we're going to go there and then we're going to fly to New Hampshire to, uh, put on TV, the house that Holmes was, uh, was born in, uh, grew up in the church that he used right across the street. And then the little elementary school, uh, get this, the little elementary school that he taught in before he went to medical school. Well, that sounds like it's going to be really, uh, amazing. It's uh, I, I can't wait, and uh, I, uh, I'm looking forward. It's a full-hour show, and I'm really looking forward when they air to see what these uh, these artists, these they create masterpieces all the time, put together about homes. Yeah, that should be great. I'm more excited about ours, though, i got to say. Our paranormal trip we're taking down there is the one that's got me psyched that we still got in the works. Well, you know, it's kind of like, like going, uh, and I don't want to, you know, you go out too far, but it's a chance to be a little bit like Columbus and maybe discover something that, you know, we, you and I have talked about this. There's maybe a hundred million people in America that believe in the paranormal. It's, it's a huge, it's a huge number, which gets larger and larger as someone gets closer and closer to uh, death. Exactly. The, the chance, and we all know this place is special for horrible reasons. And like the magazine, you know, Harper said, if it's ever going to be proven, it's going to be down in that basement. And we have a chance and we have the funding to attract the best there are scientists. And I, you and I have said, talked about, I want a two or three of them to be pure believers, but I want two or three honest skeptics about this. I want it to be debated and considered what we find, what, what we hear, what we see, what the electronic devices come up with. So that when I don't want it to be like some of the shows that are on TV now where right. they're trying to sell something to get to it get can't ratings. be one sided. You need both sides of it. Otherwise, it's worthless. That's right. And I and I want it to be argued and discussed because this is something incredible that, well, think about it. If it is proven, if we find evidence down there, you pretty much change the way we think of human life. 
Yeah, that's why I'm psyched to get my camera equipment down there. I'm so excited to get that down there because I do things very scientific too. I, even though I'm involved in this, I don't jump at everything. So I just can't wait to get cameras down there and rolling and see what we catch, if we catch anything. Well, and, and for your for your listeners today, when they when they uh, when they buy bloodstains to read it, chapter twenty seven is all about me going down into the basement and what I saw down there, and uh, what happened to me and my best friend because of the influence of uh, of Holmes. And like I said, you know, my doctors when I, I immediately went to my neurologists, and uh, they they all said you. What you saw was a result of a seizure, and it's very normal, the visions and voices, and uh, um, that's why, like you and I have discussed, this, this opportunity to get, it, to get it electronically proven instead of what I came out saying I saw and heard is uh, very exciting. Exactly. We're going to have that building wired for uh, audio and video like you won't believe. If anything's there and it's going to show up, we're going to get it. It's, it's, uh, you know what, John? It's not that far around the corner. It's, uh, it's coming up. I think uh, we have people willing to do it that are excited about showing it, and they know there's so many people interested in a show like that, a Geraldo Rivera-type show of going down and trying to prove this real. Um, I had a, the, the TV uh, studio tell me that they think this could be one of the highest-rating shows ever. I know there's a multiple studios involved in it, as you and I have been talking off air. It's just a matter of who wants to commit to it, but there's numerous ones talking about it, and as soon as we get a definite okay, it's a go. Yeah, I'm excited. It's going to happen. It's just uh, we, have to, uh, we have to go slow and do it right. Exactly. So anything else going on? You want to discuss anything else, Jeff? Or No, that's pretty much uh, up to date, and... Uh... Um, I'm just excited about you know you uh, putting the finishing touches on the new webpage so that I can start interacting with uh, my readers more and uh, explaining to them what you know what I'm going to do I, I will mention um, I'm going to keep a diary of the process of going with these film crews into the basement of uh, seeing the editing of seeing the changes the work that's done on a TV show like this that's going to come out three or four months later. And I'm going to, I'm going to uh, keep the blog on the webpage, and um, I think a lot of people would be interested in seeing how a TV show like that is made. Yeah, people don't realize that even for a small little 10-minute spot sometimes, you're talking four hours of filming. So for an hour spot, that's days and days worth of filming. They told me three or four months of work. Yeah. Yeah, it's insane. I mean, I, when I was on WGN that time, that was only like a three-minute spot, and it was over four hours of filming amazing well john i tell you what thank you very much for allowing me on today uh, tonight and uh and um whenever whenever i tell you what like i always tell you whenever you've got an opening on your show i, I love to go on okay thanks for being on jeff and uh, we'll talk to you again thanks thanks john join us next week for a brand new show right here on www.ufo-info.com sunday nights at 7 30 see you then